Welcome back to the podcast. An NBA champion has been crowned. Milwaukee wins in six. Bucks in six. As Giannis has a all-time great performance to help close out the series. And finish off the Phoenix Suns. With that being said, now the offseason has begun. I'll have trade rumors to listen to that I heard. And I'll talk about that. Also... Also, got a mock draft out here with the NBA draft only less than a week away. Aaron Rodgers news as apparently he turned out to pay big money to get the heck out of Green Bay. Also, so we got some trades in the MLB. We got Nelson Cruz heading to Tampa Bay. In return, Rich Hill is heading to the Mets in a separate deal. The Cleveland Indians are no more, as they have a new name. And (laughs) there's a big change happening soon in college football, potentially. I'll talk about that. Here we go. Alright. This is already old news, but the Bucks have won in six. As I thought at the beginning of the playoffs, I thought the Bucks would win the finals. But I thought that the Suns had a good chance as the playoffs rolled along. I just fell into this trap of the Chris Paul good feeling story and just completely ignoring what the Bucks have done in the Eastern Conference. So, in this, in game six, Giannis had probably one of the all-time performances in the finals. And the sad thing is, I was working throughout the entirety of Game 6. So, I work as at a Red Robin as a cook. The way the kitchen's set up is I can peek out and see one of the TVs that they have in the Red Robin. So I was able to get a peek of the game every now and then. While it's I was trying to get food out. I had to take a peek. But I went back. I, lucky for me, and luckily in this day and age, you can record games. You can record games and watch them back later. So I was able to watch the game after I got out of work, watch a re-recording. Unfortunately, I knew the Bucks had already won because a lot of my coworkers who had the day off just kept running around yelling that the Bucks were about to win. So there's that. But went back and went, rewatched the game, and it was a pretty. It was another great game. It was a great game between two very good franchises that could be back here next year. I don't know if that's going to be a possibility, but they could be back. Giannis, absolutely, you you could tell from the get go. There was one play at the very beginning of the game where you honestly didn't. It was like one of those plays like, ah, whatever, I'll let it go. It's an easy layup, whatever. Nope. He could tell Giannis wanted it. I forgot who went out for the shot, but it was like very early on in the game, like early in the first quarter. It was like two minutes into the first quarter. Giannis, someone goes out for a layup. I think it's either Book or Paul. I don't remember which one it was now. But Giannis went up and blocked a shot early on the first quarter. And I think right there kind of just set the tone for the rest of the night. It was a night. It was – Close, competitive throughout the entire night. And going into the 
But at the end of the day, and the Suns did come out strong in the first quarter, don't get me wrong. But then the Bucks bounced right back. Had the lead going to halftime. And then third quarter, the game was tied. And at that point, it was anybody's game. It was anybody's game. And at this point in the finals, your stars have to show up. And in this game, Giannis Antetokounmpo and Chris Milton were the two stars that showed up and shut the door on the Phoenix's chances at game seven. And we all saw what happened there. The Bucks absolutely dominated near the end of the fourth quarter. And that was that. Bucks are now NBA champions. Obviously, if you drop 50 points in the in a in a closeout game and dominated the way you did, you did, you're gonna win MVP. And don't get it twisted. I don't understand how people thought Chris Milton could win MVP in this series. Giannis, you gotta remember, in this series had two back-to-back 40-point games in games like two and three. Played great defense this series. Absolutely dominated in the paint this game, this series. And then closed out the series with a 50 piece. I say that's MVP worthy to me. Don't take anything away from Chris Milton. He was absolutely fantastic in this series, but you can't take anything away from Giannis either as he won MVP. And this title is like a rarity now in the NBA. Giannis. Staying in Milwaukee, hanging with Chris Middleton, hanging with Coach Bud, and won the title. Loyalty. Loyalty hasn't paid off recently in the NBA. I don't think one. I don't think a team, someone has won the finals with their own team that drafted them originally. Since Dirk back in 2011. It's been a while. And I think all the champions between Dirk and Giannis. Let's see, you got Miami Super Team. Miami Super Team. And I guess you could say with the Spurs, it's another one of those things, but they were just really good. You also got Warriors. Super teams for a while with Kevin Durant. And now here we go with Giannis. Do the Bucks have a chance to repeat next year? I think so. I do think so. But it's going to be a lot tougher. Especially with the league being healthier next year. But we'll have to see. We still got a little ways to go. Let's go ahead and talk about the Suns. Because the Suns had a fantastic season as well. A great run as well. After making the playoffs for the first time in like 10 years. Devin Booker, fantastic. Chris Paul, fantastic. Kind of showed why he's an all-time great in these playoffs. But at the end of the day, Phoenix had their chances to win. Chances. They had a 2-0 lead. They had leads in a few of these games. But at the end of the day, they dropped the ball. They dropped the ball. I don't know what the defensive scheme was for Giannis for the most part. They didn't adjust to that at all. They let poor DeAndre Aiden on the island with Giannis and thinking he is going to be the one that stopped Giannis Antetokounmpo. Nope, that didn't work out so well. Now did it. 
But at the end of the day, it was a good run by Phoenix. It was a good run by Phoenix. And they'll definitely be competitive again if they can re-sign Chris Paul in the offseason. Chris Paul, when it comes to his legacy at this point, is an all-time great point guard with so many playoff collapses. So many. When it comes to the Hornets or the Clippers or even the Rockets or the I guess you can't really say OKC because they weren't even supposed to be there last year. But if you're that big of a Chris Paul hater, I guess you can throw the OKC year in there. But it is what it is. This is an interesting question for Chris Paul. There was a rumor at one point that he would turn down that player option that he had going into the next season. If he does, does he ring chase? Does Chris Paul go out and chase a ring? There's already rumors about the Lakers are going to try to go get him. The Knicks, the Heat are in there. I'm pretty sure the even the Dallas Mavericks were in that in the discussion as well. Does Chris Paul ring chase? I don't know. I don't know. This offseason is going to be a very interesting offseason because you got a lot of players that could be on the move for your trade. Free agency is going to be crazy depending on who declines or accepts their options. It's going to be insane, but it is what it is. I really hope Chris Paul doesn't go on ring chase because I know people just give him a lot more slack with that, but at this point, you got to do what you got to do if you're Chris Paul. Even though this was a really tough series for him, and the Suns team. Shout out to Monty Williams, by the way, for that class act. Going over to Milwaukee's locker room after the final game of the finals. And giving him some words. Shout out to him. Sticking with the NBA. The NBA draft. The first part of this crazy upcoming NBA offseason is less than a week away. And I have a mock draft for the lottery. Right here, I got a few ideas where where some players will go, why it would be a good pick for these teams, and where it would be a good fit. All right, so let's start with Detroit. Detroit, I obviously think I think it's everybody's consent. Almost everybody, almost everybody. I've seen some wild, wild dra- mock drafts out there from these experts out there, but. The consensus, number one, for the most part, Kate Cunningham from Oklahoma State, the point guard from Oklahoma State, 6'8", 220. He averaged 20 points a game last year with six rebounds. He has a potential to be a fantastic playmaker in this league. He's definitely going to be a franchise cornerstone in Detroit. And I honestly believe he's the best player in the draft, so... Detroit, he's going to go to Kate Cunningham, is going to be the number one overall pick to Detroit. Second overall pick, I've got the Houston Rockets taking Evan Mobley out of USC. Seven-footer, something that the Houston Rockets have been missing for years. In fact, honestly, believe it's time for them to get away from this little small ball nonsense that they've been doing for a while. And Evan Mobley could definitely help him in that. Great defensive player. 
Also, get you agree, good rebound, eight point two rebounds last year in last year at USC. Average also driving sixteen points a game as well. Number three, Cleveland. I got them going with the next plus player on the board. I got them going with Jalen Green from the G League. This guy is absolutely talented. I believe he has the potential to be a superstar. So, Cleveland, I expect you to lose him in a few years. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that, but it is what it is. Last year, I was like 17, almost 18 points a game last year. He shot 52% from the field last year. From memory range and stuff like that. Field goal percentage at 46%. Uh, let's see here. He's also a pretty decent defender as well. He averages almost two steals a game. Honestly, I think this kid has a lot of potential. Didn't get to watch a lot of the G League last year, so I don't really get to see him much. But from what I've heard and what I've seen, what little I've seen from him, he definitely has potential to be a top D. He's definitely going to be a top three pick in the draft this year. For the raw pick, Toronto, I think they go with Jalen Suggs out of Gonzaga. Gonzaga, let me get to say, say it right. Gonzaga, I don't want to, it's Gonzaga, not Gonzaga, Gonzaga. Anyway, Jalen Suggs, 6'4", 205 out of Gonzaga. He has potential to be a pretty good scorer in this league. Him alongside Fred Van Vliet is going to be a very good backcourt for the future of the Toronto Raptors, who could potentially be moving on from Kyle Lowry. After so many years of service, Jalen Suggs, I got him going to Toronto. Orlando with the fifth pick. I got them going with Scotty Barnes. Scotty Barnes, 6'9", out of Florida State. I believe he's going to be another great defender in the league. Orlando definitely needs some help at the wing defensively outside of Jonathan Isaac. But he can also get you a little bucket here and there. He averages about 10 points a game. Decent passer, four assists. Get you a couple rebounds here as well. I got Orlando taking Scotty Barnes. And then I got the Oklahoma City Thunder also getting some help out the small forward. Getting what I believe is his best small forward in the draft. And Franz Wagner, 6'9", 220. And if you saw him in Michigan, he is a complete player. For the most part. He can get you some buckets. He averaged 12 points last year. Get you some rebounds. Six points. All right, defender, I guess. But not as good as the guy I got Golden State picking. With the seventh pick, I got Golden State picking Davion Mitchell out of the defending national champion, Baylor. 6'2", 205. Outstanding defender. He can give anybody a fit, especially out in the West where... You have a lot of offensive guards. <laughs> the offensive talent is really, really out there in the West when it comes to guard play and wing play. I mean, Davion Mitchell, he gave Jalen Suggs probably his worst game in college in the national championship game. He did a great job defending him. I feel like he could be a very solid defensive player in the league. Maybe down the line, maybe a defensive player of the league. Of the year type player. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. 
Gabs also, if you're worried about scoring, you also can have you also have 14 points last year. And a pretty decent passer too with five assists. Almost six assists. The eighth pick from Orlando. I got them going with a guard, James Booknight, out of freaking UConn. This guy is a bucket. He averaged 18, almost 19 points a game last year, UConn. Now, when it comes to guard play in Orlando, they obviously have some pretty decent guard talent already there. You've got guys like Cole, you got Cole Anthony. You picked up RJ Hampton last year. I believe you also got Markel Fultz out there as well. But I believe James Booknight could be a very decent guy out there. Nice little guy. Nice guy who can come out there, give you guys a bucket off the bench. And he could be a nice sixth man for y'all down the stretch in the near future. Sacramento. I got them going with the guy out of Duke, Jalen Johnson. They need some help at the small forward position. And I believe Jalen Johnson, he's going to be a little bit of a project. I'll say that right now. But coming out of Duke, Obviously, you know, for the most part, these Duke guys have a little bit of talent in them. He averaged 11.2 points last year. He also had six rebounds last year at Duke. I believe he was an opt-out last year as well. So we'll have to wait and see. Then they can see much of him. But I do believe this guy has the talent to succeed at the NBA level. At the 10, with the 10th overall pick, I have the New Orleans Pelicans selecting Fellow Vol, Keon Johnson out of the University of Tennessee. I'm actually wearing a tennis, some Tennessee gear while recording this. Keon Johnson, I got to see this dude live for pretty much every home game this year. And I tell you what, this guy has real potential to be a very solid guard in this league. Very athletic. Could get you a bucket. He was like probably our lead, one of our leading – he was our leading scorer, I believe. This season at the University of Tennessee. He averaged 11 points a game. He's a little bit of a project player when it comes to the NBA, but he definitely has the potential to be a very strong, very good guard in the league. Personally, I could see him going a lot higher than 10 as well. Charlotte. I got them picking Jonathan Kuminga out of the Congo. They are in desperate need of a... Big guy, I guess. And I believe this guy alongside guys like LaMelo Ball. It's going to be a very dangerous combination in the future. I do, I believe, I have very high hopes for Jonathan Kaminga. San Antonio 12. I got the getting Corey Kispert out of Gonzaga. San Antonio last year, you can tell that probably one of the weaknesses going down the stretch and then going into the playing tournament is definitely some offensive firepower, especially... From the three-point line, Corey Kispert fixes that issue right away. Last year, he was shooting pretty much lights out at Gonzaga. Best shooter in college basketball, in my opinion, and the best shooter in this draft. Indiana, I got them picking a backup point guard in Trey Mann. He averaged 16 points a year last year at Florida. 6'5", 190. He's a pretty decent defender, too, if I last heard. And rounding up the lottery, I got them going. I got the Golden State Warriors going with Josh Giddy, the Aussie. And that is my mock draft for the lottery, for the lottery picks.
Personally, I could see this can definitely be changed, but I honestly do believe that the 14 names I just named will be selected within the lottery. You could argue who and where and why, but these 14 guys will be selected in the lottery. Now that the NBA offseason has begun, you're hearing some of the crazy trade rumors going on out there throughout the league. I've heard this morning that the Golden State Warriors are trying to get potentially Miles Turner from the Indiana. Or, like I said, there's a bunch of Chris Paul rumors. Also, you got the Damian Lillard rumors out there. You got the Ben Simmons rumors out there. But this is this is one that I wanted to talk about the most. Because for me, though it looks good on paper, it really also doesn't really make much sense from a certain standpoint. I'll get to that in a second. This trade rumor I heard a while ago involves Russell Westbrook and the Los Angeles Lakers. So, it's rumored that the Los Angeles Lakers had a package together to the Washington Wizards, I'd include guys like Dennis Schroeder in a sign trade, Kyle Kuzma, and THT. For me, if I was the Washington Wizards, I would be cautious about this trade just because Schroeder's probably going to have a big, big freaking price tag due to him being Dennis Schroeder and somehow wants $120 million which he's not going to get, by the way. But for a sign trade to work, Westbrook and Dennis Schroeder are basically just salary matches. Because Westbrook has a pretty big salary of his own, but we'll get to that later. Kuzma and THT are probably the big things for the, for the freaking Washington Wizards. Young talent, time for kind of a rebuild in Washington. It was a good run last year in Washington, but this roster is not sustainable. And with Scott Brooks out, it be, might be time time for the new coach to get his own little vi- vision in there. But I'm going to talk about this trade for the Los Angeles Lakers and why it doesn't make any sense from a spacing standpoint. It would be terrible spacing. It really would. You've got Russell Westbrook, who isn't the greatest shooter in the world, and tends to do most of his damage in the paint. You've got LeBron James, albeit his shooting is getting better as he ages. Most of his points come, and most of his damage goes within the paint. And then you got Anthony Davis, who, who get who's a pretty decent stretch, who's a pretty nice stretch big, top five, big in the league. Most of his damage is also done in the post. So you also, you already see the st- you already see the spacing problem there. Three point shooting for the Lakers would be already abysmal as it is. Not to mention, they got three dudes making a sh- uh, ton of money. It would be an interesting big three for sure. It'd be entertaining to watch, but I don't think a big three. A Westbrook, LeBron, and Anthony Davis would win you a championship in the in Los Angeles unless you surrounded all three with decent shooters. Now, I mean, pretty 
good shooters too. I'm not meaning like the Danny Greens or the um, KCPs of the world. I mean pretty good shooters. And again, who gets the ball? <laughs> who gets the ball? That's another issue. I understand as LeBron gets older, he's going to get the ball in his hands more. But again, in the fourth quarter, who gets the ball? As we all seen it in years past. Russell Westbrook is not exactly a guy LeBron can just kick it out to after a drive and he'll hit a three most of the time. Westbrook could hit a shot every now and then, but he's not exactly going to be all every day, just every time. Just LeBron kicks out to Westbrook, he fires a three. Bang. It's not going to be that all the time. So, does this trade make sense for the Lakers? I don't know. The Lakers are also rumored to try to go after Chris Paul if he declines his option from Phoenix. Those are like the two big names on the Lakers' target list in my pick that I've heard of. Westbrook and Paul. If I'm the Lakers, I would put Paul as my number one priority because... He's basically smaller than LeBron, just less, less athletic. Uh, that sounded really bad, I know. Smaller LeBron, just less athletic. That sounds pretty bad when talking comparing Chris Paul and LeBron, but it is what it is. And then Westbrook would be the second option. And if somehow you can't get those two, I'd go out to Kyle Lowry because he's an actual free agent. But don't do it, don't wait too long on that though. That's all I'm saying. All I'm saying is that this offseason is going to be crazy when free agency begins. Let's switch to football. Honestly, I'm not one of those guys who likes to come onto the podcast and talk about the same old stuff every time. Because I know that's going to be an interesting topic. For me... I'm not going to – every time there's a podcast come on, I'm not going to talk about the Aaron Rodgers drama every day. I'm not going to talk about the Damian Lillard stuff every day unless something actually happens. Same thing with Aaron Rodgers. As you know, if you listen to the podcast, I don't talk about Aaron Rodgers every day, every episode since the drama news has come out. Same with Damian Lillard, same with Russell Wilson, same with whoever. When it comes to drama in sports, I'm only going to talk about it one time – Unless something drastically changes. And this is one time. Aaron Rodgers, I guess earlier in the year, turned earlier sometime this month or last month, turned down a massive extension that would have made him the highest paid quarterback in the league for now. Because you know how this quarterback market thing works. And he Rogers turned that down. Now there's an old saying in life: money doesn't buy happiness. And it couldn't be more. Uh, valid here. You know what I'm saying? Aaron Rodgers is clearly not happy in Green Bay. And it's very obvious that he wants out. So much that not being the highest paid quarterback 
in the NFL wouldn't make him stay. What does that say about the situation in Green Bay? I think there's this relationship is beyond repair. And if I'm the Packers, it's time I give my quarterback what I want. And that is happiness. Happiness somewhere else. Because it's about time. You can't just host it. You, this is just going to be another Carson Palmer situation, isn't it? Where he doesn't get what he wants. Both because the other side is being very stubborn and he just goes. If I'm Green Bay, do I want? If I'm the Green Bay Packers front office staff, do I want to be the guy that forces one of the best quarterbacks we've ever seen in front in history of the league to, to retire pretty much at the top of his game? No, that wouldn't look good for anybody. And definitely wouldn't look good if Jordan Love goes out there and plays like garbage. Because now, there is a report that Devontae Adams ended extension talks through Green Bay. Like, cut it off. It's done. This situation is going from bad to worse in Green Bay. And if they don't figure it out, Green Bay is going to be a laughingstock. Honestly, every day that you don't trade Aaron Green Bay, his stock gets a little bit worse. Because there's going to be a point where it's going to be desperation for you to move him because you know he's not showing up. And other teams see that. And the smart general managers won't give in to your demands. You're, every day you don't trade Rodgers, you're losing leverage in negotiations. So why not move him while the iron is hot? you got a guy who just came off MVP season, got you to another NFC Championship game, st- proved that he's still one of the best quarterbacks in the league, and yet you refuse to trade it even though it's pretty freaking obvious that he doesn't want to be there. How stubborn are you? Imagine the hall if you could trade for him right now at 6-12 Central Time to Denver. Denver would be giving, willing to give up a ton because they don't know who their quarterback is. And I'm pretty sure right now Denver will take Aaron freaking Rodgers over Teddy Bridgewater or Drew Locke. You can go to, let's see, um... Yeah. Maybe Philly picks up the phone and calls. Even though that wouldn't look good. Maybe Philly picks up the phone. I know they don't have much to offer, but they can squeeze a lot out of them draft capital-wise. There are a lot of teams out there that are really looking forward to competing sooner than later. And Aaron Rodgers could be that guy. That could change... That turn the tables. You just... I'm Green Bay. And I should know by now. I was in Green Bay position. In the Packers management position. I try to get whatever I can get for Aaron Rodgers. 
Because right now, your leverage is slipping away. And it's not getting any better. And that's all I'm going to say on the Aaron Rodgers thing. And I'm done talking about it unless something happens. Like if he actually shows up miraculously to training camp. Or they actually finally decide to. Like we're done. We're moving you. On to baseball. So, you also all know, trade deadline is almost here. Exact about a week away. And we've already got some pretty interesting moves being made already. Both involve the Tampa Bay Rays. So, the Rays required Nelson Cruz from the Minnesota Twins. I had a feeling that the Nelson Cruz was going to get moved. And... This actually is a pretty good fit for Nelson Cruz. Here's why. So, Tampa Bay Rays have a pretty decent offense so far this year. They're competing for a division title and a wild card spot. I honestly do believe they already, the way they were right now, they already had a wild card spot locked up. But here we are now. The Rays added up at a huge bat to that lineup. Who can drive in runs, driving some RBIs. So far this year, he has a batting average of 294, an OPS of 907, an OP, OPS plus of 153. He has an on base percentage of 370 and a slugging percentage of 537. He's driven in 50 RBIs so far this year. He has 19 home runs so far in the year, which isn't bad for a 40-year-old man. 41-year-old man. All this with a 2.2 war. With that in mind, he this already makes the Rays a better team than they were today for obvious reasons. They get another big bat. They can drive in some runs. A nice little veteran leadership, too, for a team that's still young. Pretty young. And it shows up a lineup spot. If you get what I'm saying. But the ha- with that trade in mind, they had to clear up a roster spot. Which leads to the second trade, which just happened today. Rich Hill traded to the New York Mets. Now, the Mets had to give up a minor league prospect and a bullpen arm that is already at, probably going to be out for the year. But... This is a good trade for the Mets. Rich Hill, obviously, is not an ace. But for a team that has guys like, obviously, Jacob DeGrom and Marcus Stroman and Taiwan Walker, who's been pitching great this year, you got a guy who's a legitimate four or five spot. And I think this is the first of many moves for the New York Mets as they're probably going to trade even more to try to keep up with the National League West powerhouses. Because the way the Mets are constructed right now, they don't beat the Giants, they don't beat the Dodgers, and they definitely don't beat the Padres. Do they beat the NL Central champion? Probably. Let's be real here. But they won't get past the second round. They won't get to the NLC. They won't win the NLCS. But for the first move for the Mets to make so far, this is actually a pretty good move. 
He has a war of 0.7. He's 6-4 this year with an ERA of 3.87, which is actually pretty good. He has he's pitched 95 innings so far this year. He has 91 strikeouts and has a whip of 1.16. Very good. Pretty good for a guy who has been in the league since 2005. And it already makes this rotation that was already pretty good a little better because now you got a guy who now you got a rotation of DeGrom when he gets back. DeGrom, you got DeGrom, Strowman, Walker, Rich Hill, who is definitely no ace by any means, but he can eat innings. He can give you very solid outings from here and there. It keep ball games competitive. He can go out and get you five, maybe six innings. I really like this trade for the Mets. I really do. It gives him a very solid back end of the rotation type of guy. These are two pretty good trades, and we're still not even near the deadline yet. So I'm very excited to see what's to come. So here we are. A few months away. From a month away or so from college football returning. I checked my phone this morning, and I see something that I think could absolutely change the entire dynamic of college football forever if this were to happen. And it's already confirmed that half of it is going to happen. So, it's been a report that Oklahoma and Texas are both leaving the Big 12. The partnership ends in 2025, and if they were to leave, they would not renew the partnership in the Big 12 in 2025 happens. So, what would this mean for college football? So, It's already reported that if they were to leave the Big 12, they would be heading off to the SEC. And very, very good brands know that there's always an opportunity to improve your market in many ways. And let's be honest, going from the Big 12 to the SEC market-wise is a major improvement. Let's be honest, the SEC is definitely the best conference in college football. I'll be honest with that. And they definitely get more of the primetime games. Like, when you turn on ESPN, you're honestly going to see a ton of Florida games, a ton of Alabama games, a ton of Georgia games, some LSU games. Maybe they throw in an Auburn game in there when they're good. You're always going to get these. And even on CBS, you're going to see all these primetime rivalry games. As opposed to the Big 12, where... You get the Red River Showdown at like noon Eastern time, which is like 11 in the morning or 9 a.m. on the West Coast. So that's that's one thing. I mean, shoot, the Red, like, could you imagine the Red River Showdown prime time on CBS or ESPN as compared to first thing at noon? On Fox? Could you imagine that? That's already... You already got more eyes on the TV for the Red River Showdown than ever before in a national audience because, let's be honest, 
A lot more people watch these primetime SEC games than noon games. First thing in the morning. Or first thing in the morning on a Saturday. And let's be honest, there's a lot of people on Saturday just like to sleep in or go out to lunch at noon and miss some of these games on Fox. So, there's that. Also, could be a big change because what happens to the Big 12 if the two two most prominent teams in that conference go? I think the Big 12 absolutely just falls apart. Because if Oklahoma and Texas leave, where's the money? Where's the money team? Who is your money team? Oklahoma State? Baylor? TCU? I mean, shoot. The only reason people can't actually watch the football game early in the morning, at 10, 11 o'clock in the morning, was to watch Oklahoma or Texas play. No one's going to be going to wake up early to get ready to watch TCU take on West Virginia or Oklahoma State take on Kansas. No one's going to watch that that early. So I don't think the Big 12 folds financially because they lose a lot lot of revenue. But also, they're going to fall behind competitively. Because let's be honest, Oklahoma is the only team that actually is doing some things competitively out of anybody in the Big 12. Even Texas, who who is the other team possibly leaving the Big 12, hasn't been that great as of late. Their best season being when they beat Georgia in the New York Six game. What's the Big 12 going to do? They got nothing if those two leave. And when those two leave and go to the SEC, that just puts the SEC way above everybody else. The Big 12 is going to probably end up being disbanded. And all these other four conferences are just going to gobble them up. And maybe some other teams as well to make it even. And honestly, I don't blame Texas and Oklahoma. The SEC is a lot better market than the Big 12. The SEC is the college football version of Gucci, while the Big 12 is a Walmart bag. If you get what I'm saying. The SEC is the Gucci conference. The Big 12 is some off-brand. And you can thank the people that actually run the Big 12 for that one. Now, another thing you got to think about is what happens to all the traditional games once, obviously, you know, 16 games, 16 teams are in the SEC now. How are they going to do scheduling? Do they do a division thing or are they going to do this little pod thing so that I've seen up on the internet to keep all the traditional games in line? I don't know. We'll find out when that time comes. Personally, I think they should do, like, they got to make sure they try everything in their power to keep these traditional matchups going. Like, people love watching Tennessee, Alabama, Auburn, Tennessee, Florida, Georgia, those games. Guess my dog is right here on the ground next to me being a weirdo. But you get what I'm saying. You get what I'm saying. This move will change the landscape of college football forever. 
And who knows if that's going to be a good thing or a bad thing for it. Personally, Texas, Oklahoma, go ahead and go to the SEC. I guarantee you this. A warning. Y'all better be ready. <laughs> because Oklahoma, you're not going to get a Kansas. Unless you get Vandy on the schedule. You're not going to get a sorry West Virginia team or a very, very sorry Kansas State teams or the ve- whoever in the Big 12. You're not going to get those opponents that don't play defense anymore. Most of these teams in the SEC are in the top 10 in deep when it comes to defenses. And they definitely can match you talent-wise because – Oklahoma wants to talk about five-star recruits. The SEC's got them, too. Texas five-star recruits. Oh, the SEC's got them, too. Just be ready, because you're about to see places. If that if the move does happen, you're going to have teams as talented or more talented than you. You're not the cream of the crop anymore. You might be little brother status come the SEC. But, hey, it's actually a good move for y'all if... Y'all can hang with the SEC at the beginning. And who knows? If y'all do well, it could be a recruiting win as well. And this is not just about football either. There's a bunch of other sports too. <laughs> I mean, the SEC has a lot of other great sporting programs too across the league. You got, obviously, you got baseball, softball, basketball, whatever. That's an upgrade for y'all as well. Do I think the move happens? Seeing how it's somewhat confirmed that they're going to lead the Big 12, yeah, I think they do. And it's going to be very interesting to see what the future of college football looks like and how do the fans react to it this year and the year before that or after that. Before we end the podcast, I want to give a shout-out to the newly named Cleveland Guardians on their new net. Obviously, there has been some controversy over the past few years about the original name, the Cleveland Indians. And now, you got a name that I think most people can be happy with. And hopefully, you got Dan Schneider out in Washington who's taking notes. How to... Pick a name, 101, led by the, sponsored by the Cleveland Guardians. That just shows you how bad, how things are ran in Washington, that you can't even come up with a name in two years, yet out of nowhere, the Cleveland Guardians can change their name. That's how it's done. Anyway... That's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. And I'll see y'all when I see y'all again. Until then, I'm out. Peace.